I don't know how to start it without having some kind of technical difficulty. Okay, one minute, one minute, one minute, one minute, one minute, one minute, one minute. I got this, I got this, I got this. I'll just cough. That always works. Because then you can make a joke about how I always cough <laughs> and that will bleed it in. So if I just... <laughs> It's such a, it's such a boring recurring joke. <laughs> if you think of, like any other series where their recurring joke is that someone coughs, <laughs> that's how it happens in Friends. There's one, that's like the funniest thing about Joey is he just coughs. Do you remember the time Joey coughed? <laughs> the one where Joey coughs. <laughs> Great. Well, that, that that's enough of an intro. <laughs> Hi and welcome back to Real Opinions. The, the basic structure for the podcast is that we, we talk about one film in particular, going into spoilers in the second half, and then discuss any news stories or basically just Google to see if anything's happened. <laughs> I've had a brain fart and I don't remember which of the films is the film, so I'd rather you... I saw three films, but you saw two of them, and I don't remember which one we're talking about anymore. Let's let's talk about the films that I did see first, so we can talk about uh, Baby Driver okay, first. Okay, we'll do Baby Driver first. So there you go, that's the film <laughs> of this podcast. Okay, so you, you go first with your, your thoughts. Yeah. Okay, um, I would say that Baby Driver is my favourite non-La La Land film of the year. I love almost everything about it. Have, I have one problem with it that I think, you know, we always end up focusing on our problems with these films we supposedly love. Mm. And I will get into that problem, but before I do that, I, I, love, um, I love the writing, I love the characters... I love the direction, I love the music, I love almost every single conceivable element of it, and I think it's the most entertaining film I've seen in ages. I thought it was loads of fun. There's very little I have negative about it. My own, In fact, my only negative is kind of the same thing. I'll use your point from La La Land, because it basically sums up exactly how I feel about Baby Driver. The first half, fucking love it, and it sets up a great like, this is what we're going to be doing for the whole film. Car chases with music. And then the second half, they kind of stop. And the film is still really, really, really mm. engaging, mm-hmm. just like La La Land. But I kind of went, why aren't you doing the, the thing that you started off doing that was really, really yeah. cool? And it, it kind of picks up back up towards the end. But I felt like it ended on its weakest action sequence in a weird way. Yeah. Um, but I think the first half, I would say the first half was, for me, near perfect. And even though I like think that it sort of... I think it's weird that it sort of wastes its gimmick in the second half. I still think that the second half is a really, 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 really good like Tarantino-style film. Better than a lot of Tarantino films. Um, I think it's Edgar Wright's best film, since for me since Shaun of the Dead. Um, I know some pe- a lot of people won't agree with that, but whatever. I think that it's the most I've enjoyed anything he's made since Shaun of the Dead, because I think it's the first time since that film that he's done something other than comedy really well. Like, Shaun- the thing with Shaun of the Dead is that it's a really, really amazing comedy. It's also a brilliant zombie film. And then I think, like, Hot Fuzz, The World's End... Sean, uh, Scott Pilgrim, their comedies are funny. I don't think they're much else. Whereas I know Baby Driver is not a comedy, but it felt like he he kind of did the genre that he was homaging really, really well in the same way that he did with Shaun of the Dead. 
I think that's the most I've gotten, like, understood your argument for why you don't like, like, Hot Fuzz as much as other people. Mm. Yeah, my issue, I, I like Hot Fuzz. I do. I like Hot Fuzz, but I love Shaun of the Dead. And for me, it is that Shaun of the Dead is an amazing comedy and an amazing zombie film, whereas I think Hot Fuzz is a funny comedy film. But when it goes into its action stuff towards the end, its action elements are really overpowered by its comedy. If you know, like the action is a comedy action sequence. It's meant to be funny and wacky and silly. Whereas when Hot Fuzz, when sorry, when Shaun of the Dead does its horror, it does its horror and it does it properly and really, really well, but still manages to be funny in between those bits. That's hmm. and and I think Baby Driver. Although it, it isn't as much of a comedy as those other films, it feels like the first time since Shaun of the Dead that he's managed to do another genre really well. Before we started it, I was prepared to go... I think that we haven't had as different an opinion since the last Apes film. Really? Because I okay. definitely... I, I uh, It's the same problem that I had with La La Land. Mm-hmm. They sold me on the it's action scenes set to music mm-hmm. and then there's no there's there is music playing but it's <laughs> not, not set to music scene. anymore yeah. after two songs they're like yeah we've done that the, the whole marketing campaign mm. is based on the first 20 minutes and that's it i don't like, i think that's slightly exaggerated because they do have the tequila moment that's a gunfight okay i'll give you and that they have that the, was actually th- the hocus pocus one where the gunshots start shooting in time with um but I do think they definitely don't do it as strongly as they do it with the bell bottoms one at the beginning, where it's, which is the most sort of pronounced that it ever is. But yeah. that's also true of La La Land that starts with its two most musically musical parts and then slowly goes mm. more restrained. But to be fair, also with the thing is with La La Land is that it's also about the characters becoming more restrained in some ways or becoming a bit more okay. adult or more mature. And I suppose you could argue that in this, Baby Driver gets more mature in some ways, but it's not—it's not like he's not meant to lose his love of music as he goes along. Like he doesn't change his his not having an iPod. I think the big point of the last act is that he sort of loses control of the music because he gets the, his his um he gets his iPod shot and destroyed, so he's no longer able to do what he normally does, which is score everything to his will. And then in the final action sequence, the song is being played by someone else, like using it almost like using it against him. So it's I feel like it's deliberately not being choreographed to everything because that was kind of like his power, I guess. It was like his ability to do everything really slickly in time with music and using music to help him. And then at the end, it's sort of not in his control anymore. And that's why it's not. It's not produced and, and edited mm. and constructed in the same way. I could definitely see that argument for it. However, it's the fact that it becomes deliberately, almost deliberately, jarring with the music at, near the end, almost. I, I almost felt bad for watching the, the Red Letter Media review. Mm. Uh, have you already seen it? Yeah, I have. On one it. hand, it confirmed, you know, it kind of validated what I was thinking about the film. Mm. And then on the other hand, it makes me feel like the points that I have aren't original anymore. <laughs> like, it, I don't want to sound like I'm just, like... Mm throwing back exactly the same points that they had. But when um, John Hamm gets the iPod and he says, what's, like, what's your one track? Mm. And they say the Queen track. And then it comes into that scene and you can't really hear it at no, all. No, you can't, no. Like, they don't really use it. It's it's almost like they've set up like a Chekhov's gun 
and then like the Chekhov's gun doesn't work or something like like it just it's not and not in a comedy way. It's just that they don't they don't fully utilize it. I think that's just how mm. I felt for. I do think that that's the week. The last twenty minutes was my least favorite twenty minutes of the film for me. The first half I really enjoyed when it synced up to all the action scenes. I really mm. enjoyed that. I I think yeah. in the second half there wasn't as many scenes besides the tequila shootout. But at the same time, I was happy with that because I felt like it was laying the groundwork for a big finale. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really liked, I think, the scene that I thought was the best, Not, I suppose not, not written, but the best like, uh, set up was the, the first scene in the diner with, um, with all, all four of the uh, gangsters. Mm. And the basically baby has to, you know, keep, keep it cool that he, yeah. that he knows the waitress. And that I think was the most for and me again. the most enjoyable non-action scene, and then after that one I felt like it was going to be ramping up again back into those action scenes again. It just felt like it never really hit the same high as the first two scenes. I I, I kind of agree, but I was I think I just became so sort of immersed and engaged with the story and with the characters by that point that I didn't mind as much. I have to one thing I I, I know we, we end up doing this every time and talking about the red letter media reviews. I don't mean to, but mm. to go back to the red letter media thing, they they talked about how they didn't think that there were many songs used um, that were used memorably or that they felt really really kind of elevated the scenes, which I do very very strongly disagree with. Um, also, they mentioned like I, I when they when they mentioned that they said not like when they used Fleetwood Mac in Guardians of the Galaxy. I was like, what? Well, that, that was the worst use of the songs in Guardians yeah. of the Galaxy. But no, I, I, I agree with you on that. That I really, I, I think I mentioned that when we talked about Guardians of the Galaxy. I don't know if we were recording that conversation or not. I kind of forget. No, we didn't. Or not, not that we, one. We, we didn't. But, but no, that was that was the worst part because they set up yeah. God, they set up Fleetwood Mac. And then they just like here's Fleetwood Mac, and then that's it. That's and yeah. then they and then they cut it short before he gets. Uh, but I think yeah, that I, I didn't agree use, with that example. I, I think that the music use is really, really, really good. I like most of that. Not everyone, but I like almost all of them. And some of even the ones that are sort of used more incidentally, I think work really, 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 really well. I really like that one that's called Baby. They use all of the songs really well, I think. Even if not all of them are like, oh my god, I remember that exact scene because of the music. I think that they use the soundtrack appropriately. I never felt like there was any moment where they kind of used a song that was used a thousand times before or anything. I was, it was all kind of different songs, a nice variety of music. Um, so I really liked See, uh, yeah. how the soundtrack I, I... was used. As well. I didn't dislike how it was used. I, it was it was more than just the fact that I I liked I really liked it and I just wanted more. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, again, it it does just come back to the same argument that I think you set it up well when you said it's the same problem with La La Land for me and that mm-hmm. it's like you've got it. I just want more. Like it was even for the smaller stuff when it's there sort of their first date and they go to the laundrette yeah and that's it's just like a snippet in the in the trailer but it's like them tapping their feet in time with the trailer yeah and Mm. for some i I was kind of anticipating maybe it's just wrong because i was anticipating something like that but i was expecting almost like a uh, their version of like a lovely night set to like a 
jukebox musical version mm-hmm. where they're both listening to the same song through iPods and they're going around the lawn and they sort of do that where they're sort of going around the laundrette but they're just talking with the song in the background. I wouldn't have had as much of a problem if it was just someone had said, here is this heist movie about a really great driver. There you go. And then those musical scenes were there and I really enjoyed that. Mm. But because it was so sold on the fact that this is basically like an action musical and then there were just scenes where they just ignored the songs. Like I can give it with like, so I I liked it when they used it when... Uh, when they're doing the heist scene and like baby's pretending to play the piano while he's sat there, yeah, like that that bit works because it's it is just meant to be, you know, almost like background music, and that's funny because they're basically using like jazz music, like it would be background music in a normal film, and he's just uh, like he's calling attention to the fact that it's basically background music, and then, but for other ones, I just wanted it to come more forward and just to incorporate it in more. Uh, menial ways kind of like that whole scene where he's going to get coffee in the very beginning where he's Mm. like running down the high street and he's just he's just having fun with the music himself yeah yeah it was just the fact that i just wanted more music both in the big scenes and Mm. in the less scenes i agree with your argument but i just i guess i get the feeling that it bothered you more than it bothered me the point that i want to just emphasize yeah is just the fact that it wasn't like i was watching this and going like this isn't good like, it was more that I was just, like, a, a bit disappointed that I just wanted more music. So I agree with exactly what you said. I just, as yeah. as, as becoming a tradition with our podcast, I agree with it, but it doesn't bother <laughs> me as much as it bothers you. Yeah. And I just, I want to reiterate, I'll keep coming back to it, but I just haven't seen a film that I've found this entertaining in a long, long time. And... I also mm. like all the sort of little things, all the Easter eggs that, I mean, I've seen the film, I've only seen the film twice now, but already picking up on those usual Edgar Wright sort of things where like either images or lines of sort of seemingly inconsequential dialogue or imagery come back to be, or, or are used as like foreshadowing of something else later in a clever way. Uh, did you notice the graffiti in the in the credit sequence? No, no, I was actually, I was, I've only seen it. The one time, so I was yeah. actually yeah hoping you could point out a few in the, of the things. In the, well, in the in the in the opening credit sequence when he's strutting down, uh, getting the coffee, all of like the mm. street signs and then like some of the graffiti are the lyrics to the song, and they appear on camera exactly as they come in the song. But it's really kind of subtle. It's oh, really? not like so. It's like one of the lyrics is like move to the left, and then there's a left turn left sign that just sort of appears on camera at that moment <laughs> exactly. And the little things like that, that's like, that's cool. And then when, you know, when he goes through the channel and there's the Monsters, Inc. dialogue that he uses later, the, the you and I are a team thing. Yeah. There's yeah. All, every other, every other line of dialogue there is also used again, which is something that you expect if you've seen an Edgar Wright film before, but it was still just when you watch yeah, it yeah, the second yeah. time, you, you actually know what those lines of dialogue are. Then uh, at the in the court hearing at the end, you remember the, the his... Um, his like the guy he cares for is uh, doing yeah. sign language and he has an interpreter reading, saying what he's mm. saying. That uh, interpreter is Walter Hill, who directed the film The Driver, which both Drive and Baby oh. Driver are based on. Like little clever things like that that I really do like and think are really fun but unobtrusive. They're not like, hey, look at this reference we're making. It's just nice, subtle kind of thing that you don't notice the first time but that you'll pick up on later and just becomes rewarding instead of annoying. Uh, 
I think the thing is with Edgar Wright films is that I always like them more in a second watch as well because you pick up on those little things. But one thing that I did get with this one is that I, I, I assume this one's like the most basic one and I assume most people already would actually know it. And uh, the, the whole first scene is a reference to a, a music video that Edgar Wright did. Have you seen that? Right, so I'm just going to explain exactly what happened then. What I got was, what I noticed the first time, was, and then you cut out, and then you went, <laughs> and what's really cool, is, and then so I just got nothing. It was like, it was like it was being deliberately censored. So every time you were about to say what you were saying, it cut out. So what did you say? You, you probably already would know this, but did you know that the whole, like, the first sequence is a reference to a music video that Edgar Wright did? Yes, yeah, that's in yeah, the film. Yeah. That, um... that, that, was the, that was the only thing that I picked up, is that when they're flicking through the channels, the, oh. you, you see a, a clip of the music video. That was the only thing I, I really, the, the, the reference that I caught. <laughs> Moving off the one sort of big criticism we had, uh, there are other elements to films we haven't talked about here. Like, acting... That's a thing that we, we usually talk about. Um, Act, yeah, I thought acting's all, a thing. Acting is a thing. I thought all of the performances were really good. Um, I can't think of a particular one that I didn't like. Anyway, um, the thing with... I know I've seen some criticism about Lily James's character. And the thing is, I kind of realise that she's kind of one-dimensional and shallow, but I don't care, so it's not a fault for me. Because I felt like she was charming and likable, and that's all I really wanted her to be. And I thought that she pulled it off in a way that made me like her, and made me care about their relationship, even if it was a little, not rushed, but a little kind of basic and one-dimensional. It was fine. That's exactly all I needed from it. And I felt like everyone else was great. I thought um, John Hamm was brilliant. Um, I think that Ansel Elgort pulled off a character that could have been incredibly annoying to me but made him likeable and sort of believable. Like, it felt like all of his cocky swagger was actually a front for, you know, like a bravado front around the other people instead of just an arrogant, annoying, trying-to-be-cool thing that I think it could have been with a with a lesser actor. Yeah, I feel like that's the main issue that people have had. It's either the Lily James' character is a bit underwritten, is the main mm concern i think people have or that ansel elgort they say is like like charisma sponge or something like that mm. but i don't know if they're just referring to simple scenes or the entire film because there are yeah moments where he's meant to be intentionally blank <laughs> like he's trying to be intentionally blank and i don't i've i yeah. feel like some people maybe have not picked up on that or i don't know it, it seemed very obvious to me but I, I would say that the moments where he's acting, baby's acting as himself. Yeah. Then I think that he's he is charismatic. There's a there's a distinct difference between how he plays him when he's around the other criminals and how he plays him like when he's with uh, Deborah or when he's just on his own listening to music. There's a it's definitely like a performative thing the character is doing, mm. trying to be like Ryan Gosling in Drive, I guess. <laughs> But it's it's a front that he's actually putting on. It's not actually the character. I I, I don't think that I've already I already said her name, but I've already forgotten Lily James. Um, Lily James. I don't think I think I would have liked a bit more with their relationship, just a tiny bit more. I don't think I would. I think that that would have ruined what I consider to be a really well paced film. Yeah. I don't care about the relationship. Is 
It's, it's a plot point to me and nothing else. I know, it's, I I know it's, that's the thing. I know it's a plot point. I know it's just a plot point. And I get that the, basically the whole reason that she is there is just to give Baby Driver Baby something to aim for mm. and to want to achieve. Like, she's she's not the goal, but being with her is the goal. Mm. But they they had that uh, that dinner scene where just the camera's just panning around them and then just, like, fading and fade out and that... I would rather have just had like a quick one minute scene with them being mm. charming rather than just that. But... but didn't you feel like you got enough of that with the two diner conversations and the scene at the laundrette? What do you want? You want fucking five hundred? I wanted, I wanted days more from the scene. I wanted more from the scene. What, what from do you the think this is? No, no. Stop trying to infringe on my car driving violent crime film with your love. <laughs> Stop. You, you completely cut out the moment you went into your rant, and then it just ended on... It just came back with love. <laughs> what I said was, stop infringing on my violence with your silly love plot. I don't okay, need it. Okay, great. I, uh, speaking of, of violence, I was pleasantly surprised with the violence in this. I was expecting mm. almost like a toned down, maybe just because it was an American production. I was expecting a bit more toned down violence, but when it got into the... When it got into the more violent scenes later on, there was. The, I think I liked. I liked that it mm. went there rather than just was happy and fun all the time. Yeah, yeah. And just back to the, the other performances, I think that all of the criminals are really good. I know that um, John Hamm has had quite a lot of praise for it, um, but I think that that is well deserved because I think he is probably the best character in it, or at least the yeah. most engaging screen presence. Yeah. God, this, 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 sorry, it's really hard because I, I, I basically just heard John Hamm and I went, yeah, and you said really good. That was it. That's all I heard. <laughs> That's great. I, 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 I'm just picturing like you hear key words and then do you agree? And you yeah. have to, yeah, it's, it's like a risk. <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> it's, I'm basically just like one of those like chat bots where you just put in, like you deliberately try to confuse it. <laughs> I might just start talking in broken sentences and you won't even know what it's like. <laughs> I might just go like, so, and uh, editing was, but that, and, do, do you agree? You broke up in the middle of that. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, that, this is basically, this is almost impossible, this recording. It's... <laughs> I'm, I'm genuinely thinking what we could do to make this more bearable. The thing is, is that editing this is going to be like Baby Driver, because I'm basically just... I'm ha going to have to take so many snippets and cut them all together and make them sound like it's a normal conversation. <laughs> It'll be like you're in your room with his little, um, making his mixtapes in the conversation. <laughs> that is basically what I'm like. It's just, it's just nowhere near as fun. <laughs> <laughs> if you can't get any salvageable material from this, just make a rap. <laughs> make a rap remix. <laughs> One thing that I wanted to ask you about it because you, you've you've seen it a second time, and I might have just not picked up on it. Was there more of a hint that oh, I feel like I'm getting into spoilers now? Spoilers. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> do you do you think that Doc kind of changed his attitude a bit 
too easily at the end, or did I just? I I feel like I, it was something. Like I feel like I maybe I didn't pick up on something. Like it, it's no, it such I, a... I don't think he did because every time he has a conversation with him, even if he is implicitly threatening baby, there is always a parental sort of attitude to it. Like mm. when they come back from the tequila scene, shooting up everyone. He he's like yelling at everyone, like saying, "I didn't hear bananas, and I'm supposed to hear bananas." And and then he turns to Baby and quite softly goes, "Like Baby, is what they're saying true? Like like I trust you." And then mm. um, he asks when they're all saying, "Like no, we'll do it anyway," despite the fact that the that you know the whole thing with the cops went wrong, and they're all saying, "Like no, we'll still do it anyway." He sort of asks Baby and says, "Like you're the you're you make this decision." So I think he does care about baby enough for it to make sense like he's just like a mad parent i think at that part where he's like i'm not gonna help you because you've pissed me off and disobeyed me and then when he sees that he's coming with his his girlfriend he's just like a real parent he's like oh uh, i shouldn't help you but damn i can't help myself so i think it makes sense because i think it was always in his character to be like that even when he was sort of threatening him it always felt like he had a parental relationship with him that would mean that he would forgive him and never really cut him off. It wasn't so completely. much that I always got the the parental vibe, but I definitely agree with that through all of it. And he is just, it's well, it's, it's obvious that he's just, you know, the favourite because he's mm. the only one that works with him all the time. Yeah. It was more the, the sudden change from, like, I, I don't care about money. Like, I, I, I'm valuing you over money, like my life. Mm. You you over my life, which was a sudden, like I could de- I I got the the fact that he respected him and that he cared for him the whole time. It was more that he never struck me as a guy that would sacrifice himself for anyone. Did he though? Did he sacrifice himself? He he took him downstairs on the lift, and then he got caught off guard and killed. He didn't willingly make a sacrifice. He didn't like throw himself no, in true. front he, of a yeah, danger. Okay. He got caught off guard. Whilst helping him, which is I suppose I different. feel like it was more of a sacrifice. You're right, is that he wasn't anticipating it to be like that. Yeah. I, I, I think I just I got it more as a sacrifice because they he does the very, like, the stereotypical thing of turning to the camera and saying, run, dramatically. Yeah. Which is always a sacrifice thing. But, um, <laughs> but no, I, 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 don't, with you on that. I don't think it was a, a sacrifice. Um, we joked about it on the, the Pirates podcast. But it is a year of... <laughs> I think lots of directors must have daddy issues of some kind. <laughs> it's all about these characters finding that they had father figures and then those father figures dying. <laughs> yeah, it is. Even Logan is kind of... It's, it's slightly different. Yeah, it's exactly. more him finding he has a daughter. But it's, it's basically... But <laughs> It's it's a, tw- a slight twist on this very specific formula. <laughs> and, oh my god, no, wait, I just realised as well, you haven't seen Spider-Man Homecoming, but... <laughs> oh, because it's got Uncle Ben of some kind or something, hasn't There's it? so much oh. father figure stuff in that as well. <laughs> this is... See, this is a, this is a trend. It's all dead fathers. 2017 is the year of dead fathers in This cinema. is such a very specific trend. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised we didn't see King Kong's dad. <laughs> That's the thing as well is that uh, when's Kingsman coming out? <laughs> That's September. Yes. Yeah, so th- well, Harry's always sort of a father mm. figure for Eggsy, and then so you that, got that works in <laughs> Star Wars is just a gold mine of father <laughs> of parental <laughs> issues, and it and it. 
Yeah. That's going to be filled yeah. with creepy dad stuff. So at the end of the year, should we do like 2017 top 10 father issues <laughs> in the cinema? We could. I think we could legitimately make a list. <laughs> it is just a, it is just a bizarre trend that it, with this. Like we pointed that we laughed about it in Pirates yeah. because you were talking about as a emotional like mm. ending. That's the trend, but it's even more specific. That's what's funny. Yeah. One thing we didn't really get into because of uh, apologies, listeners, for the sort of stoppy starty conversation. It's been difficult with uh, Skype and everything, but it seems to be sorting itself out now. I don't know if you. If you feel Seems that way, better now. Um, but we, I mentioned that I thought John Hamm was really, really good in this, and I didn't hear if you responded. I didn't hear any of that whatsoever. Ah. I liked John Hamm. He he's always charismatic. I mean, you know, I like Mad Men, so mm. I've watched seven seasons, seven seasons of of John Hamm being charismatic. Mm. So having another, having a film with him, just being being John Hamm is, yeah. is good for me. Like I, I really but yeah, like I, I I loved the film despite the 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 what I'm going to call the La La Land complaint from now on. Yeah, um, I I loved it uh, because I actually I don't get the whole underwritten thing, or more more specifically, I don't get the underwritten thing being applied to this Edgar Wright film and not to other Edgar Wright films. Like, fine if you think it's underwritten, but I don't get why this one is underwritten and, say, Hot Fuzz isn't, or The World's End isn't. Uh, I don't really get that, apart from the fact that it's it's fast-paced, so they can't have 20-minute-long conversations for Baby and Deborah's relationship, and I don't want that either. I think the point is, with all the other films that you mentioned, Hot Fuzz, uh, Scott Pilgrim, or whatever, uh, World's End... Well, for starters, I wouldn't say either of those... Uh, like, I wouldn't say World's End is underwritten or anything like that, but it's more the fact that, like you said, they are just comedies mm. rather than trying to be another genre. Mm. Like, with this, it doesn't bother me as much because it's an action film. It's an action film and then a comedy film second. And you don't yeah. expect... Like, you don't. I don't have to know how Bats got his name or whatever, just like the mm. Pirates of the Caribbean. Like, I don't have to know the reasons why they're all criminals. I just need... I just know that they're criminals and, I feel and like how, they, how they react to stuff. To me, it feels a bit like that sort of problem where we live in that kind of world now where every film has to be under, overrated. Every film that comes out that gets loved has to be overrated in some sense. And I just feel like it's a film that has really sharp, cool dialogue, memorable characters that I you know actually cared about and good structure and pacing and yet everyone still goes oh, it's underwritten style over substance it just feels like people <laughs> aren't happy unless they're complaining now i never i never agreed with style over substance with this film mm. because it's it's not like style over substance means that you're actively putting down substance yeah whereas i think it's more just the fact yeah, that style is the fun part can't people have style and substance is that not a yeah. thing because I feel like this has that. And the car chases, that's the one big obvious thing I think we've been missing. Although there aren't as many as I'd have liked, they are really, yeah. really cool. Well, that's the thing, is that like not having more of something is not overrated, Yeah, I would say. like it, It's overrated implies that everyone thinks that think something is of a certain quality, and really it's not. Whereas, in fact, I think the quality's fine, I just wanted more. Like, yeah, I wanted more of the thing. Yeah, yeah just more. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because it was really cool. Yeah, every time it happened, it was really cool. 
But yeah, I I loved the film, and I thought that all of the characters were in at the very least engaging, even if they weren't necessarily super complex. They were always kind of bold, vibrant, engaging characters that I felt something towards. Like I did kind of hate the Jamie Foxx character in the way that you were meant to. Like when he got killed, we yeah. were in spoilers, aren't we? We said that. I was like, yeah. yeah. And like, like that was that was great. It was great to have a film where all of the characters had an effect on me. I liked and I liked um, John Hamm's girlfriend yeah. as well. Like I wasn't too fussed about her at the beginning because I could kind of see she was kind of acting like a mother figure towards him mm. when they're in the car and she's saying like, "Oh, kill him, kill him." Yeah, and she's got like a darker streak. I really liked that because it was just like there's something where even though she comes off as nice, she's she's the one that's kind of mm. she's got a, some a screw loose. And I really liked that. And it was something, yeah, something, again, they say underwritten, but I think that's all I needed to know is that she, she pretends to be nice, but really she's got a yeah, crazy streak like, as well. Like the, there should be, I think there should be room in cinema for kind of characters that are simple, but engaging and powerful. In the same way that I'll use Star Wars as a good example. Like Han Solo could be construed as underwritten, but he's cool and he is what he's yeah. supposed to be. And yeah, that's yeah. how I felt about these characters. They're not massively deep but they're not meant to be they are cool they are engaging and that is exactly the point what else do you want from them like if you want the super deep characters go watch something that is more explicitly character driven is that is that everything i have to i think so yeah i i I think it's kind of pointless to bring up the editing (laughs) the film because it is just like i'd say that edgar wright's a, a director where one of the few directors where editing takes priority over cinematography, really. Yeah. Like, it's 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 not about the images themselves, it's about the sequence of the images yeah. and how they all fit together. So I think saying the the editing is good in an Edgar Wright film is kind of just pointless, because that's what you expect. I did enjoy it, and that's why I think I, I said to you, like, before uh, recording, is that I want to see it a second time, because, like I said, mm. I enjoy every Edgar Wright film a second time around. I would agree with that. If I knew I was going in with my... I wasn't. I wouldn't be expecting a, a musical like people. Yeah, like, exactly. That's the other thing. I think the whole musical thing. We're going to get into Spider-Man: Homecoming a little bit later, where I, I I have a similar point about how a certain genre has been overstated by people, and the musical yeah, thing has yeah. definitely been overstated. Like it is that they play definitely. music occasionally. It's choreographed to things, but for the most part, they just play music. It's like calling Guardians of the Galaxy a musical or Gross Point Blank exactly. a musical. Yeah, like it's I, exactly like calling Guardians of the Galaxy a musical. And like I get it, I I do understand because musical implies a film driven by the music, but it mm. it has been wildly overstated. And I think if you go in with that adjusted perception, not not adjusted expectations or like anticipation, but just yes. knowing it's not that will help. Exactly. And it's it's not that because I, I, I can go into a film expecting something and get something completely different and find that rewarding. Mm. Like if, if I was going in expecting something dumb and got something intelligent actually. But it was more the fact that I I think I would. I enjoyed the idea of getting a full musical, like action musical, mm. more than I enjoyed getting a full action film. Yeah, and it was that, and that's like, and it that was, is like a I fault. Said, it wasn't expectation. That's not it a fault just... of the film. I think that's a fault of of like reviewers and the and yeah definitely. and the reception overstating something and making it out to be a bigger part of the film than it actually is. Like, yeah, you have the moments like where that hocus pocus song where the gunshots are synced to the guitar riffs. And in tequila, they kind of do it with a drum beat. 
there are bits like that, but they're just bits, not not whole yeah. sequences. It sounded like it was being sold on the fact that I, exp- I almost, I wouldn't have been surprised if it was almost like, you know, like Les Mis, like it's <laughs> songs all the way through back to back. Like that's almost what I was expecting, yeah. the way that some well, that's, some of the stuff uh, was presented. That that to me went quite some way to proving to me, not this is off on the tangent now, but how unobservant some reviewers can be. Because I've seen some reviewers like interviewing Edgar Wright and saying like, is there a song in every scene? And I'm like, N- no, there's very blatantly not. Like, if you've watched it, there are quite a few scenes that don't have a song in it. And it just feels yeah. like they're not really paying attention. They yeah. <laughs> they just make their grandiose yeah. claims about things because they're too busy thinking about what they're going to write and not focusing on the film. Because if you watch it, there are definitely a substantial amount of scenes that don't have songs played. There is a lot of music. Yeah. There's something like, I've got the soundtrack album over there, and something like... 30 songs that's a lot that's the thing is that i saw the listing and I, but the thing is, is i saw the listing i was like were there that many songs in it i didn't remember like i don't remember more than half of them i do and i don't know if that's because i've seen it twice but i i do i i do want to come back to i do remember every song and where it played and how it was used and i don't know if that is me because i've seen it twice or if that is just because i think that the music choices are that well incorporated I think that's just about everything covered then. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I love it. I do love it. It feels like I don't have I, that much to say about why I love it because it just keeps... it Without me just repeating, it's very cool, which is yeah. my thought on it. It's just like, it's very cool and very entertaining. Well, again, that's just the point of it. Yeah, and like, I'm not trying to damn it with faint praise by saying my ultimate thing is it's very entertaining. I mean, it's very entertaining, and that's exactly what I wanted from it, and that's why it's my number two of the year so far. So. I mean, it's exactly what happened with uh, Fury Road a mm. few years ago. I mean, you can't really, besides saying it's really cool and it's really well shot and everything, with you don't really have that much to say with Fury Road. What do you talk about with the story for that? Mm. You can't. It's just cool. Yeah. And I think that, well, I would say that I think that Fury Road had more of a lasting impression than this did. I'd say that it's, I'd definitely say that it's on the similar level of... I can just, see myself a, watching this more. Film. And I think that's because really? I, I think that's because it's the there are le- the thing with Fury Road is as much as I love it, there are bits like the bit where they're in the green place that just drag. Yeah, yeah. And I don't feel like there's any part of this that I thought dragged. And I can imagine myself watching it because I like the characters, because I like the dialogue scenes. Whereas with Mad Max, it was getting caught up in the spectacle. With this, I mm. felt like I was much much more consistently entertained. Even if perhaps there aren't moments as amazing as some of Fury Road's moments, and it'll work on a small screen better too. I think, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think Fury Road. It's just very intense as well, yeah. and its intensity sustained for like it, for the whole time. And I think, well, except for like you said, the moments where it does drop off. But I think with Baby Driver as well, is that I think it's something that I could see being more accepted by more people. Like I've tried to show my family Fury Road. Mm. And within like five minutes, it's just this is weird. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I just, think yeah, and and they just think like, and I say the whole film's a car chase, and they're like, oh, that sounds boring. If the whole film's a car chase, this is the kind of film that I think is quite perfectly placed in terms of it has personality, but will still be accepted by a mainstream audience. Like because it's its yeah. central gimmick isn't weird; it's just fun. It's we're playing lots of music, mm-hmm. and we're an action yeah. film. 
And that's something I think that most people will get on board with. Uh, I don't think that it's... I don't think it needs to be a cult film or a weird film that I have any hesitations, like, recommending to someone. I could just go, yeah, you'll like it. It's fun. Yeah, there's no recommend... There's no hesitation for me recommending it to anyone, really. Yeah. So, did you want to talk about Spider-Man first, or briefly mention Okja? Let's... Because I felt like you wanted to talk about Okja at some point. You pick. I'd say Spider-Man. Spider-Man Homecoming is... It's a weird one. It is a really weird film in the MCU in that I felt like for the f- for a lot of its runtime it was to me like the perfect example of an MCU film like safe inoffensive mm-hmm. uh <laughs> didn't do much wrong but was kind of just decent then partway through the film it really quite sharply starts to pick up and I really, really like that. And it's for a spoiler reason that I can't actually go into. Because I do think you should see it for that moment alone. Okay. I think that moment really is worth it. But the more I thought about it, the more I thought that like, their way of rebooting Spider-Man and refreshing Spider-Man and doing Spider-Man again in a way that we haven't seen before was to get rid of most of the things that make Spider-Man Spider-Man. I've talked to you about this, but this is a Spider-Man film that Mm. doesn't have him swinging through Manhattan at any point. Yeah, that that just seems bizarre to me. It's a Spider-Man film without, like, a proper uh, central love interest thing. There is a love subplot, but it's very much, like, it's, it's, I would say it's less important in this than, say, the love subplot was in Thor. Like, Thor has it stated more. (laughs) Even maybe Doctor Strange... Put, devotes more time to its love interest characters. It Aunt May's barely in it. Um, really? Lo- as well? <laughs> yeah. All these like big... Who spi- is in it? Who is it? That's what I thought. I seriously started to think about this because I went through all the characters in the film and they're all in it for five minutes and I was like, what was most of the screen time? <laughs> like, I don't remember who was in it. Um... But it, it takes away so much of the established Spider-Man stuff, I think because they know we've seen it before. So it's like, no origin story, no Aunt May, no drama, no soap opera drama, no love interest, no swinging through Manhattan. And it's like, what? what is there? And what you get is kind of just a fun Spider-Man film that has, like, uh, cool powers, some decent action sequences, and a better-than-average MCU villain. But not. It didn't feel like a like it got the tone of Spider Man to me. And some people have gone like, "This is the Spider Man from the comics." And I feel like a lot of those people are people who haven't read Spider Man comics because they've just gone, "Spider Man's the funny teenager. That's his thing, and that's all this film has." But Spider Man's like central appeal was always that he was kind of really kind of pressured by the world and like down on his luck, and things were quite horrible for Spider Peter Parker a lot all the things he's supposed to be juggling and all the personal problems he goes through, but he's still good at heart. Whereas this Tom Holland one feels like he has no problems. And that really started to bug me. It's just like, everything's fine. His life is great. His biggest problem is whether or not he'll make it to the school dance or if he'll have to go fight as criminal. And it feels like he doesn't have... There are no stakes. There are no stakes in any sense. Like There's no emotional stakes. There's no like moment where him and his love interest kind of are butting heads or anything. Like, she's perfectly understanding of everything, and they're just 
happy mm. to get like they're just there's no bullying at the school it's very light bullying anyway there's no sort of Aunt May problems or personal problems and then the action sequences all feel too comedic and like there's no threat so everything just feels really kind of consequence free and light and I think that was my biggest problem if I had to say what I didn't like about the film that other people have loved like why I didn't love it it was that it felt so kind of consequence free so kind of light and just overstating fun to the point where it kind of felt like nothing mattered. The char- they get Spider-Man right. Tom Holland is really charismatic and that, that is its biggest strength, I think. That and the fact that it knows... The one thing about Spider-Man it does know is that he has much, much lower scale. There's no massive city. There's no destruction, really, at all. It is him fighting crooks. It's him you know, stopping weapons deals and small-scale stuff. And that was refreshing for an MCU film. No giant laser in the sky or any of that. But that's, yeah, that's like, praising it for what it didn't do, if you know what I mean. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I know what you mean. Um, yeah. They understand to keep, this, to keep it small, but I just felt like they didn't really get that Spider-Man is sort of part soap opera, if you know what I mean. Like, that's sort of part of his appeal, yeah. is that his personal problems... Something he constantly has to overcome, and here he just doesn't really have any. I thought that the spider gadget suit stuff was really cool, and that definitely made it more engaging. Um, all of his different web shooter abilities and things um, were made the action sequences more fun, and did lead to some of the stronger moments of comedy. And also, he has the suit has a voice, uh, you, you know, kind of like how Jarvis had. Oh. Um, that was the best relationship in the film was between Spider-Man <laughs> and his suit voice. Way better than his relationship with his love interest with Aunt May or with his nerdy friend. The best relationship was him and his suit. I thought they did that. That was a really well-executed relationship. See, I find that weird. I, I, would find, I would find people wouldn't like that just because it's not a Spider-Man thing. Well, I'm sure some people don't. But I, as I've I mentioned this with like Iron Man 3 and the changes they make... I am okay with change. I don't see things being changed from source material and they have a conniption fit. I just go, okay, you did something new. Well done. I, I, <laughs> I don't mind. I'm not that kind of... Like, I'm a big fan of Spider-Man and things. I lo- Since I was a kid, I've, I've Spider-Man was the thing that got me basically into being a nerd. My room is covered in Spider-Man posters here, but I don't <laughs> care about things being different from the comic book. I am not... They change quite a lot, actually, like... For example, Flash Thompson isn't a bully bully. He's like a snide rival to Peter Parker. Like, he, he wants to be the smartest in the school and he kind of tries to undermine him. Fine, whatever. That's, okay, so he wants to be the smartest in the yeah, school. Yeah, yeah, and that's like, fine, that's a change. I can accept that. And they do lots of other changes like that that I'm absolutely fine with. I don't mind things being changed. What I didn't like was the very safe, very kind of just overly light tone that it had. It felt a bit like a Saturday morning cartoon, and I don't mean that in a good way. I mean it in like a sort of sense that it just felt like nothing of consequence happened for the entire film. Like, I bet you could skip this film out, go to Spider-Man Homecoming 2. Very little will matter. Very, very little of import has happened. I think one of its best use of strengths, actually, is the way it uses the MCU. A lot of MCU films now get laden and kind of burdened by having to work within the universe and set mm. stuff up. 
And it often feels like the film is working in favour of the universe rather than the other way round. And I think Homecoming is the first example in a long time of it actually working the other way round. Homecoming doesn't set up anything for the MCU. It doesn't set up any other characters. It doesn't set up a thing. It only sort of takes and uses nice little references or takes events from other films to sort of impact this film. And in a way that makes it sort of feel worth it, the, all of the build-up and everything, it's like, this is how it can sort of pay off, instead of like watching another film that is just struggling to cram stuff in while also setting up other films. Like, they have lots of like nice little things that don't feel intrusive. Like, Peter Parker's school principal is played by an actor who is one of the Howling Commandos in the first Captain America film. And if you just look on his desk, he's got a a picture of that character from Captain America and he's supposed to be the grandson of that character. Oh, I like that. And that's like, that's nice. That's a nice little reference. And then the fact that like, um, the villains are taking, they're, they're weapons dealers and they're taking like pl- item MacGuffins from other MCU films. Like they've got Ultron heads that they use as weapons and Chitari weapons and like the black mm. hole grenades from the Thor The Dark World. And it's like they're using the MCU rather than being used for the MCU. Yeah. You get what I mean? And that that was its one of its biggest strengths was that it was a film that was the first film in the MCU in a while that felt like it was just allowed to do its own thing and just take bits and pieces where it felt like it needed to. It's the first Marvel film that I've seen where like when it's come out I've seen people posting pictures of details in the film. Mm. Like when you have Doctor Strange, like when that came out no one was going, "Oh, look at this detail that's that's like oh this is linking to this or whatever i never saw anything like that mm. and, and with this like it uh, i've seen at least like three or four pictures of references to other things yeah and then and they're nice they're not they're never in, that's one thing i will say they were never distracting oh yeah they're never in the center of the frame in the ones that i've seen they're always just at the side like they, they'd only like you wouldn't spot them on the first watch mm. almost but one thing I mentioned when we were talking about Baby Driver that I said I was going to bring back was how I felt like Baby Driver critics overstated the musical element. Oh, yeah, I know where you're going yeah. with this, yeah. My God have people overstated the John Hughes element of this film. Like, it's set at high school. That does not make it a classic <laughs> teen movie. The, it devotes very little time to the teen movie stuff. It is mostly just a superhero film. Yeah, there are little bits like where they go to the party and they have to be cool and... Oh, we could. What if you came in as Spider Man? We could impress everyone. That that's oh, that's that's like the extent of it. It's like I feel like it's something that's being said by people who haven't seen John Hughes films and just know kind of <laughs> what they are and went like, oh, this is just like one of those, right? And the worst part, I think, was the one time a film explicitly references a John Hughes film. It does this thing where it basically recreates a scene from Ferris Bueller, and I was fine with that. I was like, okay, fine. And then it shows the scene on the TV in the background. And (laughs) Spider-Man looks at it and goes, that's a good movie. And I went, oh. Oh. He says that's a good movie. And he says it's a great movie. But yeah. Oh, okay. It just felt like, get it? Get it? Did you get what we were doing? Get it? Get it? Like, I got it already. You did not need to show me. That just reminded me of special correspondence. Yeah, because Spider Man eighteen, that's a good one. <laughs> that's a good comic book. <laughs> but it just felt so kind of like 
obvious with that. And it was the only time that I felt like the John Hughes comparison was relevant. And it was also the only time I went, I wish he didn't do that. Because <laughs> 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 um, I don't know. I just don't really get where this whole John Hughes thing is coming from. Apart from that it was something that Kevin Feige said in a press conference. And then all the critics went, ooh, write that down. Yeah, yeah, write yeah. that down. Because it's like... Well, I'm sorry, there's been two Spider-Man origin films set in a high school before that focus on the teen drama just as much as this does, to be perfectly honest. There's nothing particularly John Hughesy apart from they are teenagers. It's they it's are teenagers. That is not the only thing that makes a John Hughes film a John Hughes film. Like they, In a John Hughes film, it's usually like the kids have problems and they all come from like different... They're all different types. Like The Breakfast Club. If we use The Breakfast Club, like they all have actual angsty problems there's no angst here mm. there's no angst there aren't any particular like teen uh movie kind of cliche characters they're just teenagers there's just yeah. nothing about it that feels like a john hughes film i don't get where it's coming from it's just something it's very weak t- teen element in the same way that like the winter soldier has the faintest hint of political thriller, and then everyone went. It's like the Manchurian Candidate, because at one point this <laughs> one point someone says the word senator. Now it's a now it's a political thriller. Yeah, and this is the same thing. It's like it's set at high school. At one point, the, the Ferris Bueller's on the TV, and then everyone went, "Oh my god, this is the new Sixteen Candles," and it's not really. <laughs> it's it's very very light, and they definitely devote way more time to the superhero stuff. If you had to compare it to a teen film, that just from that example of you saying like, "Oh, if it would be really cool if you went to the park Super and dressed as Spider Man," yeah, or, or something like, or like Teen Wolf, or something yes, where it's no, like no, the no. teenager has some secret power teen that Wolf he can't is, reveal is, to his friends. Honestly, Teen Wolf is the closest I can think of in that does he ever use it to play like basketball well or uh, something? he uses it to do something what does he use it to do or gym class or something yeah he does it in gym class yeah mm. but it's like it's <laughs> i think team wolf's a good example because team wolf's another one with zero angst zero drama kind of just light comical easy to yeah, watch yeah, yeah. and that's what this is speaking of comedy <clears throat> i felt like this was the most annoying MCU humor's been in a while, particularly from his fat sidekick friend who got on my tits. Um, <laughs> <laughs> his his comedy was so irritating and just so easy and broad. Like it's it was just him saying things like, "Let's go make a Lego Death Star." I'm a nerd. <laughs> Can I be your guy in the chair? Can I be the guy that does computer things? I want to be the guy that does computer. Shut up! Shut up! Did we? We didn't. We never recorded it in the end. But do you remember when we were talking about how he's gonna he he's gonna come in? He's gonna be important in the plot in the latter half. Yeah, because he'll be the techie nerd friend. Yes. Were we? Uh, yes. Is that right? Yes. That's exactly oh, good, what happened. Good. That's oh, exactly. I'm, exa- oh, I'm happy for that now. But like, it just—he was annoying, and there were lots of jokes in it that I felt were really kind of easy and just common, lowest common denominator. There's like that Zadena or whoever her name is. She has oh, this character, yeah. kooky teen character who just says. I thought she was. Ju- I thought she was the love interest because no. she's the only one shown in the trailer. No, but she just sort of says like weird things. And so like, I'll give you an example. There's a scene where he's in, where Peter Parker's in detention and 
she's sat there and one of the teachers goes, why are you here? You don't have detention. And she just looks and goes, I like to draw people in crisis. Oh. That's her humour. So that's so she's sort of like a very, like, if they got the, I know you're not going to like it because it said John Hughes movie, but she's sort of like the outcast girl in The yeah. Breakfast Club. Yeah, then. she's the closest to, to a John Hughes character there is. But they forgot that she's also meant to look weird as well. No, she is honestly the closest to a John Hughes character. If there was any character you could say the John Hughes thing was valid for, it's her. And she's annoying. Um, I've, I've, I've kind of criticised it quite a lot now, and I realise I've criticised it quite a lot. But having said that, I did think it was in the upper echelons of MCU films. <laughs> um, because whilst things like Ant-Man or Doctor Strange just kind of fine, this had some things that really annoyed me, but it also had some things that I really enjoyed. Particularly uh, the use of the villain towards the end. For the first half, he was very much another MCU villain. And then as the film goes on, he becomes more involved in the plot and he becomes more involved with Peter and he actually develops a proper connection to our hero, which is nice. And he starts to do things that normally these villains don't do that I thought were quite interesting and made for easily the best scene in the film towards the end. The scene that I keep talking about where the film just sort of completely changed for me in one scene. And that's because of him. And that's because he gets he starts to get scenes where he's interacting with Peter and it makes it so much more compelling from a dramatic level. I also thought that whilst I said the humor was annoying, they have this they have two recurring jokes that I did love and I wanted them to be made a bigger thing. One of them is the school reports, which basically I, I remember you said <laughs> it's like our videos are dropped into the film. Um <laughs> They're like badly edited, awkward things. It's like they do a school report after Spider-Man saves a bunch of people at the Washington Monument. And they're like looking at the camera and they awkwardly say, thank you, Spider-Man, slightly out of sync with each other. And then text <laughs> comes up saying, thank you, Spider-Man. But there's like a space between Spider and Man and it's in this really bad font. And and, the, and it kind of clips through one of the presenters, like the letter sort of disappears behind their arm and then reappears in front of it. And that I really liked that. And then like there's an awkward pause and it just zooms in on one of their faces while they look around, their eyes darting all over the place. And that felt very much like our stupid humour. And there's also uh, a running joke with another MCU character that was actually really funny. Really, really funny. That was good. So overall, I think it's a good film, uh, and unfortunately, the main reason that it's good is a spoiler, <laughs> so I can't say that much. But I do think that if you like if you like the MCU films, you'll love this, because it's fun and colourful and all those things that people like from MCU films. If, like Jack, you're a bit ambivalent to them, I would say... Uh, <laughs> oh, you were very kind. I thought you were going to say something way mean. <laughs> I think this is like... For me, a bit better than Ant-Man, better than Doctor Strange. It has, towards the end, the originality to do something slightly different. And it does things that I think other MCU films could really benefit from in terms of its villain. And I also think that Tom Holland is very charismatic and very likeable. And I think he goes quite a long way to making watching it a pleasant, like, fun time. (laughs) Um, I just think that the the teen humour has been way overstated. I think that it could do with being not darker, because people are going to go, it's Spider-Man, it's for kids, what do you expect? That's not what I mean. 
I just mean, I wish it felt like it had a bit more at stake at times, because it just feels very, very kind of, like, like the Sam Raimi films have darkness, and they have emotions, this felt like it had no emotional content whatsoever. Well, they're cheesy, but at the same time, like, they're more realistic than any of the other superhero films because when what in what Marvel film is the main character struggling with debt yeah at one point? that's the kind of stuff like there's nothing like that and there's nothing because we don't get Uncle Ben there's no emotional moment like that there's also nothing like I don't know you know let's use another like an example from Spider-Man 2 there's nothing like Peter and Harry kind of having their dramatic moment where he realizes he's Spider-Man and there's kind of real the one moment where someone figures yeah. out he's Spider-Man and it's a joke Whereas in other Spider-Man films, that would be like a dramatic, <gasps> it's just sort of a, Aha, now his fat friend is going to be his sidekick. And it just felt like it could have used something darker or something something that made it more than just a comedy. It feels like it's trying really hard to be a comedy. And I think it could have done with having... So- Even Guardians of the Galaxy has serious moments and threatening moments and this just has none of that and that was my biggest problem but <laughs> it's, it's it's still good it's still good <laughs> um it's it's fun it's it's well paced and it doesn't do anything horribly wrong 10 out of 10 <laughs> <laughs> not a mistake <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I did, I did like it. I did enjoy it. I just, I felt like it could have been more. Well, I think you convinced me enough to at least go see it. Because after films such as Ant-Man and Doctor Strange, I just don't even care. Like, if, yeah, if it, either it, of those it, sequels it, come out, I won't go see them. What, what elevates it above both Doctor Strange and Ant-Man is, firstly, it has a hero that is just really effort. I mean, actually, Paul is likeable, but it has a hero that is very likeable and just I could watch him for quite a you know I could just watch him and not get bored of him secondly unlike Ant-Man and Doctor Strange the villain's pretty decent and thirdly it's for the most part I think it's very predictable but it does as I keep saying towards the end start to do things a little differently whereas Ant-Man and Doctor Strange just kind of stick at predictable that's the thing is that that's you just, it was more just that you said because it changes near the end. Yeah, and it does change in a really. It's not like a. Sh- it's like I'm not. It's not the sixth sense. It's not a massive twist. <laughs> I just, but I didn't expect. No, no, it. I wasn't expecting that. I didn't yeah. expect what happened, and it felt like as a result of what happened, the script shot up massively because there was a new plot element that was easily the most engaging plot element. It was right. the the thing they introduce is by far the most interesting part of the story, and so the story gets way more interesting at the end. There's also one really good set piece. Like for the most part, the action is decent, but there's the bit of the Washington Monument, which isn't actually you know it's not a fight, it's not an action sequence. It's more like a almost a Mission Impossible style kind of. Uh, I don't know what you'd call it. Like it's obviously not a stunt it's CGI, but like a sort of tensiony bit like the the bit where he's climbing up the building in Mission Impossible 4. It's a set piece. A set, set piece, piece yeah. It's, way to word it. it's a it's a nice tense sort of non combat oriented set piece for Spider Man where he's trying to save these people. 
and that bit. That's good. That's what I miss in some of the Marvel films is that they never. They've t- people have already talked about this to death, but they don't save people. Yeah, and it's just the best the best set piece in this film is uh, him saving people. Set pieces. It's, it's, it reminded me a bit of the train bit in Spider Man Two. I was going to say it's fun. It's so funny that you know you say oh the Marvel films trying to separate itself from all the other Spider Man films that have come before, and then directly like rips one of its one of the most like famous set pieces from the the first trilogy. It's not like I don't mean it's it's nothing like that. No, but no, I was talking about the ferry. But I just mean it. Rem- it reminds me in the sense that it's a a very it's the most memorable part of the film action wise, and it is it's devoted to him being put in a situation where he's got to solve a seemingly unsolvable problem where people's lives are at risk yeah and I, that they were always the best parts of the raimi films as well also he doesn't have spider sense that was the other thing you know i was making a list of what? things that he, that they miss out that are proper spider he doesn't have spidey sense what, do they uh i know that they don't have the origin story but do they just completely skip over the fact that he was bitten by a, a spider the only reference is his fat friend goes um what happened to you? And he goes, I got bit by a spider. That's that's the backstory. That kind of just irks me a little bit. <laughs> just just having it like a throwaway lot. I don't know. But it's it's just weird the, the, what the stuff that they're taking away from it. Mm. Like stripping it down. And I, I, I do get, I want to stress, I get why they did it. I know it's because people complained about the Amazing Spider-Man retreading so much ground. But I just felt like they went too far in the other direction. You know, they went, like, too far into, well, we've seen that before, so let's get rid of most of what makes Spider-Man Spider-Man. Oh, one other thing that I did enjoy was actually the opening, which is basically Civil War from his perspective as he's filming, like, a video diary of it all. That was fun. And I wish there was more stuff like that where it felt like it was doing... where it embraced the teenage side of him more and, and mixed it with the superhero part because it feels like you get the superhero part and then you get the... Teenage drama at the high school. No, not drama. I already yeah. said the teenage stuff at the high school. But that was a moment where he, he, the teenage stuff worked with the superhero part that made it feel different. Because it's him like sneaking off in the middle of the civil war fight, filming it from afar, and oh right, commentating yeah. on it. And it it was good. I liked that part. Seven point five out of ten. <laughs> I was going to give it a seven, but then I thought, no, it's a bit better than Ant Man. It's a point five better. You gave Ant Man a seven out of ten. Yeah, Doctor Strange was a six. <laughs> I was thinking I can't even be bothered to talk about them. <laughs> <laughs> Great. We Did you want to do? Oc- Oc- do... <laughs> good, good one. Did you Did you have anything to add with that? Yeah, no, we'll talk about Ocha. We can do it briefly because I know you've already got a video up. That's what I was thinking. Is that I was thinking if there's anything because if if you don't know already on the we do this podcast, but we do also have all the uh, uh, reviews on our YouTube channel as well, smaller reviews, and we have I have covered Ocha there. Uh, so for my views on it, you can go there. But I was wondering if there's anything you wanted to add at all or um, anything I, I, want- I think to 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 return to our baby driver discussion. I would say that I I think we could switch ourselves around here and say that like we just put ourselves in the inverse position of like I liked the film I think I liked it less than you did what I did like about it was Okja as a character was very well realized and felt believable 
and there's like as you said in the review a believable part of the world that other people were interacting with mm. and i thought that was its strongest element and i also liked this is such a me statement but once it got away from the quirky stuff and got darker towards the end i, I liked that a lot yeah uh, I expected you'd like, like that. Yeah. Spoilers, but once they started, you know, mercilessly uh, <laughs> blowing the pig's heads off, ten out of ten. But <laughs> and when and when she walked through the the vat of blood that they were swiping away, yeah, great stuff. But um... of of course you just like that. I. I... <laughs> Um, what I what I think I didn't like about it as much, and this is something that you set up in your review, and I will I just thought yeah that you're describing me was uh, the human characters, and in particular the louder human characters. Yeah. Not so much Jake Gyllenhaal. I didn't mind him, but uh, I think Tilda Swinton for definite. Like the opening scene really put me on a uh oh yeah. Well, that's the thing is that what I argued is that at least with Jake Gyllenhaal's character, he's like he is a TV personality, and also the fact that he's like he does have quieter scenes, and he also mm. has moments where they give him a bit more of a background and a bit more of a character and conflict in himself at least. Yeah. So there's something to him, whereas she's just quirky. Yeah. It it opened on a bad note there, I think. Yeah. Um, that took yeah, a while for me to kind of get past. I also, but it's not just them. I didn't like any any of the animal rights characters. They just felt so quirky, hipster, and annoying to me. I didn't like the characters. I liked were the girl and Okja, and I kind of wanted them more and less of the adults, who I found to be kind of consistently less interesting. I'm surprised you didn't like any of the animal rights people because I didn't find like I didn't find them particularly hipstery whatsoever. Like I mean, I, maybe it's because Paul Dano just instantly makes me. I did angry. not know that you didn't like Paul Dano. Well, I think that, that should be a given when you just think of the films Paul Dano is in. <laughs> like he, it's 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 like he is. He's like my anti Tom Hardy, where Tom Hardy is like consistently in things that I like. Paul, uh, Paul Dano is like consistently in things I don't like and it's not his fault maybe he's not particularly annoying but he just makes me think hipster as soon as I see him I would say they were hipster characters because there's red haired girl who has colourful hair <laughs> so she has coloured hair so that was enough for you to dislike her there you go <laughs> so then, it's, it's there's, the... <laughs> then there's like I won't eat tomato because it leaves a Footprint oh yeah, on his, the planet, his character is, was made to be irritating. Yeah, but I was still. It was one of those things where I was just annoyed, and I didn't care if the film was intentionally annoying me. Okay. I was just annoyed. And then I don't know. Paul Dano in his silly suit looks like he's trying too hard to be hip with his suit. <laughs> he needs to get a haircut. <laughs> <laughs> That's such. A, see, it, it's it's funny that whenever you see like a film that's slightly indie, you just turn into like a guy that's like saying like all these hippies are ruining the world. You literally, yeah, literally said get a haircut, get a haircut, stop Long with hairs. your purple hair, and, and and eat a bloody tomato, you hippie. 
Stop worrying about your carbon footprint. <laughs> I, I liked that, but I liked that Paul Dano with his character. It wasn't like again, it wasn't as strong as it was in, in Baby Driver, as we talked about. But he had mm. a streak of a violent streak. At one time, I know that's what I was saying. It wasn't as strong as it was. I mean, even like Baby Driver, it was just one line. With this, he actually did something. So he does mm. actually di- like he does actually sort of snap a little. I mean, it just, it just that they were more of a plot device than like characters you were meant to like. But I think what was the main focus was that uh, Aja, Aja, Mija, I got Mija was good. Mm. I liked her. Yeah, and and Opja as well in yeah. particular. They were they were good, uh, strong characters, and I I cared about them. Like you said, it made me care about them. And I agree with what you said. I don't think it is like a firm anti-meat film. I think it is just sort of show, telling a story and and letting you think what you want to think with it. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it is. I don't think it's anti-meat because the characters they they do like you said. She eats fish. They're 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 on a farm. They yeah. eat, you know they have chickens and things. They're gonna probably kill and eat the chickens and if not they're going to eat their eggs mm. which are they're young so they're not it's not like it, it does i think you, you summed it up well with your whole kind of overconsumption and just giving as well as taking argument i think was was quite accurate and I, I i agree with you there well done i didn't like it as much as the host see i that's the one I, i've seen the only other film of his i've seen is snowpiercer mm and I preferred this. I haven't seen Snowpiercer. I think I preferred this in some ways to Snowpiercer. Mm. Um, Snowpiercer, it's even quirkier with some ways. And Tilda Swinton's characters, basically, it's it's just the same character with a different voice, really, mm. which is irritating. But um, I think the action scenes in that are better, and I think it's got a it's it's got an interesting concept, which I think is just something else. Um, but I preferred the characters in this, and I think it had an overall mm. like the plot structure was better than it was in Snowpiercer. Yeah, I like the the thing is the host is I would say the host is one of my favorite um, foreign language films. I think the host is amazing. It's basically it, it has like a kind of a kind of quirky streak. The host has like a a sort of quirky quality to it, but it's a it's a bit more tempered, and it's it's a creature feature about this monster. That that's, that runs through uh, South Korea, but what happens is the, the it's it's centered around this family with a kind of dis- a dysfunctional, quirky-ish family, and they lose their um the sort of the youngest daughter of the family, like they they lose the little Miss Sunshine, if you will, yeah, um, yeah. and they have to go get her back, and it really gets quite dark. And quite scary at times, and I really think The Host is a very underrated film. And I'm just mentioning this because uh, I think more people should watch it. So if you well, like creature to features, watch it for a while, yeah. Even in fact, if you don't like creature features, I still think I think The Host is one that rises above it, and I think you could still enjoy it either way. It has some darkly comedic elements as well. Um, the unfortunate, the big, the most obvious dark comedy moment in the film I can think of is a massive spoiler. But I really quite like the darker comedy stuff in it too. But yeah, the host is really good. I would recommend watching the host. I really like him as a director. I mean, yeah. while I said I preferred this to Snowpiercer, I still enjoyed Snowpiercer more than a multitude of blockbusters. Yeah, I, I've wanted to watch the host for a while, but I'm going to try and go out my way and watch it soon, just because. Again, it's it, that if that's 
good. He's very consistent as a director, and I'd like to just see more from him. <laughs> I do think I will get back to this because I feel like I messed up my point by just talking about Paul Dano's hair and his suit. But I do genuinely think his character was hipster and annoying. <laughs> not just because of his hair. I'm not. I don't want to just sound like get a haircut hippie. Is my my review of Okja. <laughs> It's just Harrison hates Bohemians. That's what I'll just say. Is, is the whole like st- subtitle of that? All uh, the yeah. way through Spider-Man: Homecoming, I was just thinking of all these teenagers. Get a job. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> Get off your twitters. Do some real work. Learn carpentry. <laughs> Did you want to move on to to news at all? The one or? news story that I remember. <laughs> the only item of news that I can remember um, was. That Matt Reeves has got rid of the script for the Batman. There was a lot of suspense for that. <laughs> Matt Reeves got rid of the script for the Batman. I have exactly the same amount to say as when I messaged you, <laughs> which is just good. Just one yeah. word. I mean, you had a good argument for the fact that while what's his face Ben Affleck has done good stuff in the past. For context, I was on a, a flight and was watching mm. multitude of bad films. I ended up watching uh, Girl on the Train all the way through. Ugh. Awful. It was an awful film. But I finished that. I could not watch 15 minutes of Live By Night. And it, it was just... And it was the writing and it was the editing. Like, that's the thing. Is that it, It's not like I, I, it could have been something else and Ben Affleck wasn't to blame. But it, it, mm. it was. <laughs> it was enough to put me off him his attachment to anything wow. well also i i think from from your perspective it's more a good the ben affleck one has been scrapped yeah 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 from my perspective it's more good the matt reeves one because i like matt reeves the, the next one we're probably doing is apes mm. like next podcast and i'm i genuinely i'm looking forward to it because while i don't like i, I said at the beginning like the most we've disagreed on a film recently is probably mm. apes or some kind of artistic film that i've liked yeah, but yeah, it, but blockbuster the most one, and even still, I think Matt Reeves is very talented as a director, much more talented than than the majority. Yeah, and and I just think like if you look at some of the stuff he said, it it was like it all sounded right to me. Like he went, "I'm going to make a detective noir Batman film. Good. Yeah. I'm going to make it um about a character who is increasingly struggling to uphold his morals in a world that's challenging him. Good, that's Batman. Well done. Yeah. And and then he's talked about how like he wouldn't he and he said the same thing about apes, which was that like he didn't sign on to do Dawn on the Planet of the Apes until they agreed to let him make most of the film about the apes with them doing sign language. And he said that he equally didn't sign on to do this until they let him get his way and yeah. agreed to his pitch, which was like, okay, good. That sounds good. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is that I was more, I was more interested in Matt Reeves coming on board than I was with the Joss Whedon story. Mm. Like, if that gives an, an idea of how much I I I do respect him as a uh, more than yeah most. Just Have because you seen he has a films? Cloverfield, I liked. I mean, it was it was a found footage film, but it was also like it was his first film, right? Wasn't it? Mm. Which is, is it, no, he he has another one, but it's like. Really, it's like you know how 
Shaun of the Dead isn't Edgar Wright's first film. Oh, right, wait. It's, it's, it's like, like thing where you can only find it on DVD. Yeah, it's like, no, Cloverfield's his first film. What other films has he done besides Cloverfield and Monkeys? Let Me In. Oh, okay, and you really like that one. Yeah. Yeah. No, I've been meaning, that's that's kind of like the host that's been on a, I, I need to watch this because I like the director list. Mm. I, 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 For me, personally, I think he's actually steadily improved with each film. So I th- Dawn of the Planet of the Apes is my favourite of his films. Although at the time of recording, I haven't seen more of the Planet of the Apes. Um, mm. But I love Let Me In a lot. Do you, so you prefer you prefer Dawn uh, of the Planet of the Apes to Let Me In? Yeah. Well, if you remember, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes is my favourite film of the year that it came out. Whereas as much as I love Let Me In, it was like the fourth, my fourth favourite film of the year it came out. Oh, for some reason, I always year. assumed that you loved it a lot more than that. Well, no, 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 it's not that. It's to give you some kind of context, Jack. That year had How to Train Your Dragon, Inception, The Social Network, oh, Kick Ass, right. and Let Me In. It was like that was a that was a good year. Yeah, that, that is actually for you. That's a, yeah, really good year. <laughs> That was I that was Inception and the Social Network in the same year yeah. as well. Literally every month, a new favorite film came out. Yeah, and that for you, Kickass, like that's yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, so yeah, that that twenty ten. God, <laughs> we should do a podcast on twenty ten. On <laughs> Harrison's life has not improved in seven years. It's never I been peaked. better. It's a, yeah. You know, the world's end when it's like they said life was going to get better, but <laughs> but it never got that good again. That was 2010. <laughs> One day we're going to meet up again and I'll be reliving 2010. <laughs> <laughs> Stuck in there. The thing is, I can't remember what was popular as well in 2010. Are you wearing, like, Vans or something? Have you got, like, a it slouchy beanie? For season one of The Walking Dead. <laughs> That's, yeah, that was the most popular thing of 2010. Yeah, you're right. That was good. That was a good season. Yeah, that that was the good season. <laughs> other other news stories are Quentin Tarantino is apparently prepping his next film. Oh, the Charles Manson one. Yeah. I mean, interesting. I don't. I actually don't Different. know that much about the Manson murders at all. Mm. I feel like it's a part of like American history. That uh, yeah, that hasn't had as much attention in cinema. I don't yeah, think. like there's that Aquarius TV show recently did it, but there hasn't been like a big, big you know like Zodiac style movie about Manson. The only reason I really know about it is just from pop culture references, and because it is it is a bit in Mad Men, like in is the it? later okay. seasons. Well, it's about it's about kind of like you know how people use that as like. The point where they say the swinging sixties sort of came to an end. So I've that's... heard that about Zodiac. Oh yeah, it's it's sort of the both of those, isn't it? Are they around the same time? When was Manson? I believe at the end of the sixties. I know when Zodiac was operating. Uh, <laughs> if, if you remember, <laughs> if you remember operating. a few, <laughs> a few podcasts ago, I I quoted a Zodiac phone call, and I can give you the dates <laughs> for the phone calls. Oh my god! <laughs> I told you that we were. I was at work, and someone, someone came in whose name was like Peter Allen. That was it, Peter Allen. But I called him Paul Allen for some reason. Eventually, someone asked who Paul Allen was, and I had to, and I had this moment of realization. Like, ah, no, he was the last confirmed Zodiac victim. See, that's the that's the kind of stuff that just 
that really establishes that you're you're the person to stay away from work. The the Manson murders were uh, 1969. August August 9th. Ah, so he was actually slightly after Zodiac then. Oh, okay. Zodiac, it's it's a bit ambiguous because people don't know which murders Zodiac did and which ones he took credit for. Because there is a precedent that he took credit for things that the police already had people in custody for. Right. So so it's a bit different between when he could have started and when we know he started. But generally it's like the sort of 64 era that, that Zodiac was was uh killing by th- by that means how do they know that he actually killed anyone because the the one the the five that we know he killed this is that this podcast has taken a turn <laughs> <laughs> the f- right, the five we know he killed he gave evidence that only the police could know before it was disclosed in the press right okay Whereas the other ones, he gave evidence after it had been in the newspaper. So it's like, well, he could have done it, but he could have just read it. Mm. Whereas the other five, there was no way of him knowing the things that he wrote about. Okay. And they matched his handwriting, so they know it's all the same guy. And and they do... Tune in next be- week! <laughs> <laughs> and they do definitely... Like, they, they do believe that they know who it was now, don't they? It's heavily, heavily, heavily believed that Arthur Lee Allen was the Zodiac, but there is no confirmation, and he had a heart attack on his way to court. That's just kind of perfect, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, to be fair, it's 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 kind of like the modern Jack the Ripper, in a way. Yeah. Like, you don't really want to know who, who the actual killer was, because there's there's not that defeat but there is a, the point. There, there is a, an overwhelming amount of evidence. I remember you like, saying at some point, yeah. Like it's quite ridiculous the amount of stuff, and in and in Zodiac as well. Uh, when McPoyle comes in at the end, he does point at that Pope picture and goes, "That's the man who <laughs> shot me." Yeah, McPoyle being from It's Always Sunny. That's not actually. His yeah, name. no, I know. Re- I remembered it because that was what I thought when I when I saw the film. <laughs> I got really distracted with that. That we didn't talk about the news story whatsoever, but that's fine. That's what the whole point is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just talking about our ser- Do you have a favourite serial killer, Jack? Yeah, uh, no. <laughs> no? <laughs> I'm, try- I'm trying to remember, but I think they're all just fictional. I only yeah, know, I only know, you know, make-believe serial killers. I don't follow the real ones. I'm not a fanboy for real murder. I have the book somewhere. But it's, it's actually quite a dry, boring book. It's just a collection of facts. It's not presented like... A lot of the books like... about serial killers are very boring. Yeah, like, it's not... It, yeah. It's not, like, presented as a narrative, even though it is what the film is based on. It's just a... It's like reading a case file. That sounds... That sounds the exact reason why David Fincher wanted to make it a film. <laughs> like, they handed him a pile of facts. It was like, this is the perfect script. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, David, that's not the script. I will film this right away. <laughs> Yeah, I suppose that wraps it up, I guess. <laughs> Do you have any other news stories you remember at all? Mm, no. No. You saw The Mummy. It's it's a it's a genuine struggle to remember that now. <laughs> I, I thought it was fine. Oh, we also yeah. saw oh, we also saw Wonder Woman. If we want to talk oh, about yeah, that. that. Yeah. Yeah, we can briefly do Wonder Woman because I honestly my ambivalence to Wonder Woman is so strong. And I know that 
that this is unpopular because I know that it's apparently the greatest superhero film ever made, as is every successive superhero film now. People have already stopped talking about it, though. Well, yeah, because Spider-Man came out, and now there's a new best superhero movie ever made. Spider-Man will stick in the consciousness a little bit more because it's got to wait until Thor Ragnarok before a new best superhero film ever made comes out. I'm trying to remember if I had any points about either of those films. If I remember anything about Wonder Woman. Um, The thing with Wonder Woman was it was actually decent. And then for me, it just completely fell apart in its last 30 minutes. Like... I've heard some people say, like, oh, it's fine. Okay, it goes a little off the road. No, it it face plants. It it completely... To me, it got worse than Fan 4 Stick in its last 30 minutes. I hated its last 30 minutes when uh, Ares showed up and was a crusty British man in a suit of battle armour. I couldn't believe what I was watching. And then everything was just lightning crashing around and CGI nonsense and him just saying really, like, Saturday morning cartoon villain dialogue. And, oh, and then, oh, no, I will defeat him with love. Oh, that was awful. Awful. Yeah, it was, a, it, awful. it was just, uh, for me, I just found it completely average all the way through. I felt, th- I felt mm. the exact same about this as I did with Captain America, the first Avenger. It, it, for me, it was just, it, fit, it felt like a remake. I don't think that Captain America, the first Avenger, got anywhere near as bad as that though the thing is is that I was just kind there of there was nothing that bad in, in the first Avenger I don't know why I just didn't find it that bad like it, oh I, no I wasn't but the, the thing is is that I, by saying I didn't find it that bad makes it sound like I was going yeah this is alright I wasn't that I was just kind of switched off for all of it yeah I only vaguely remember flashbacks I, I don't like and, and it was uh, it was just the fact that it it did feel incredibly lazy way to end it, an incredibly stupid way to just write out some characters out of it, and that that love thing did irritate me. That was that was the most irritating thing. Well, the thing is, people keep going like, oh, but it's it's like Christopher Reeve Superman. Yeah, but Christopher Reeve Superman. Okay, it was cheesy and it was very optimistic. But it it felt earned. It felt like I understood what Superman was saying when he said, "I'm the truth." justice in the American way. I knew what he was doing and what his ethics were. Wonder Woman jumps up, stabs a man, and then goes, oh, that didn't work. I'm going to defeat you with love. Without any real, without any real sort of, like, what do you mean? What 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 are you doing? Like, because she fights him. What does she mean she's fighting him with love? What is she on about? What What do you mean? <laughs> I see. So the reason, my logic behind it is that because Ares like feeds on people being, I can't think of any other word except for disenfranchised for some reason. <laughs> be yeah. like be a discourse. He, he, he like anarchy, and so there she's like, if everyone loved one another, Ares wouldn't have any power. But they don't love each other. But they other. don't. I know. I'm doing? not saying it's. What's, what's she on about? I'm what, trying to follow the logic from? here. I'm trying to figure this it out. Kind of logic. It's just something she says. She just says some crap. And but then didn't didn't kills what, a man. Didn't Wonder Woman's mother die for her, and that's how she got that scar, and that's how what? she defeated Ares. Was that a joke? Yeah, that was a really was that... that was a really really <laughs> bland like dry <laughs> joke. <laughs> I didn't get that. 
I thought I'd forgotten most of the film, so I thought I just missed a massive plot point. <laughs> to like, what? I did one thing that did that has stuck in my mind is that I thought the VFX were bad all the way through. Yeah. Particularly the the one that sticks out in my head is right at the beginning, and it made me go, "Uh oh!" Really early on, and she's running <laughs> around as a little, she's running around as a kid, and she jumps off like a balcony or something. And it's a close-up <laughs> shot of her falling. And it, it I just got this brilliant idea of you watching this in the cinema and Diana jumps off the cliff and you just go, uh-oh, <laughs> like in the cinema and people think that you're worried for her. <laughs> but it, it looked like Rhea projection from an Austin yeah. Powers film or something. It didn't look... It did not look good did... in the slightest. No, and then all the action was like mid 2000s speed-up slowdown. Yeah, yeah. Like more than Zack Snyder does it. I thought the whole beginning bit on the island was hard to get through. It I did. I'm glad you said that because it was just. Uh, I, I'm a I'm a child, but I want to fight. Mama, let me fight, please. <laughs> <laughs> no, Diana, you cannot. You were made from clay. What are you Italian? But it did. It, it felt. Oddly rushed, and yet at the same time dragging. <laughs> it was like, like yeah. I, want, I was at yeah. one point, I was like, slow down, slow down. And the other part, I was like, no, finish. <laughs> but once she got, I will say, once she got into World War One, I, I was enjoying it a lot more. But it just felt like, I, it felt very repetitive, the opening. And it felt like very little was established about any of the characters. Like, they were all just sort of very kind... Like, I knew as much about them at the end of the first act as I did at the beginning of the first yeah. act. It is kind of entirely pointless, almost, that first act. I mean, they establish Ares as the villain, and mm. they establish the fact that Diana has been made, she's not human. And then setting up for a reveal that's not even a reveal. It's just... It's... Anyway. But then they, like, show her training as she gets older, and... Mm. I don't need to be shown that. I can just be shown, like, that's what they did in Batman vs. Superman. They just showed her, and she's Wonder Woman, because she's Wonder Woman. Yeah. Just, just let I her. Did, I, I do really feel like there's so many points of this film that felt like things people would have criticised elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah, it was, I think, I think it was just very generic all the way through. I don't know if it's a, if it's a feminist thing, or if it's a DC finally made something competent thing i think there's a lot of different factors because it did feel like they were blinding themselves to a lot of things they otherwise wouldn't like the speed up slowdown like the bad effects like the bad villain which would get criticized in any other film or the cgi heavy conclusion or some of the out of nowhere forced dialogue and the sentiment and the supporting characters that felt very one-dimensional all these things that I feel like people were just ignoring. Like you said, the, the kind of go-to argument for why people are ignoring those things is just the, like, the because it's Wonder Woman, because it's the feminism mm. thing. But I think there, there must be something other than that, because it's, it's if it was... There have been women superhero films before that have been well, recognised as bad. So first that, and then two... The stuff that is bad about it, it no way links into her being a woman or mm. anything like that. Like the, it's not like the villains are women either, or and it's not mm. like it's a particularly like different relationship from any other superhero film. Like it's very, mm. it's not like he's the damsel in distress. 
Like it's still very yeah. much like they're on they're on sort of like a level playing field. So it's there's nothing that's particularly like that I can point to anywhere besides her character as being particularly pro women. Mm. I don't get how people can excuse that, but at the same time, I don't see how the argument for it's because of feminism fits into that. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I get what you mean. I'm just it, very confused it, it, it by why this film is so popular, is what is what the point mm. is. I didn't dislike it, it just felt like as good as an average MCU film. That's the thing, it, was, it I wouldn't put it, I would put it on equal playing field with uh, Doctor Strange. Like, yeah, I, I don't have to give it a yeah. shiny medal for being average. Like it's just, like it's, it's. I'd watch it again over Batman versus Superman or uh, Man of Steel if I was given the three. But yeah. to be honest, that's not that's not a big prize either. I mean, it's just. <laughs> and as for the mummy, perfectly passable. I don't understand the hatred of that. Like they're more or less as good as each other. But for some reason, one of them's adored and the other's hated. I would absolutely, I would genuinely just say that they're exactly equal. I mean, <laughs> every every single thing that I go, well, that's an obvious flaw with the mummy. There's an equally obvious flaw with Wonder Woman. Like, yeah. you can point to the like the exposition for the exposition for the mummy, and they mm. the reason that they keep repeating exposition for some reason, which is baffling. Um, <laughs> But then, for the Wonder Woman, like you said, they've got they've got lines where they just address stuff very bluntly, and then they've got um, like the whole ending, the whole stupid ending, and all of that. And I think they've got worse visual effects in mm. Wonder Woman than they've got in the Mummy. Like, as in, I never, I wasn't blown away by the Mummy anything, but I never thought, and there was, I can't remember a shot where I thought that's bad. There was no. a shot where, like, the stuff with the eyes I thought was stupid, but I never thought it was bad for the effects. And do, you agreed with me that the whole universe-building thing has, again, been overstated. Like, people have said that it's nothing but, like, a film burdened by setup for the Dark Universe. It didn't feel like that. No. To but, me. I mean, the worst bit about the Dark Universe was the title at the beginning. Mm. And then I was... Like I was expecting it to be a lot more heavily involved throughout, and it just it wasn't. I mean, it just I wouldn't put if it wasn't for the Dark Universe thing, uh, like you put at the beginning, and then they announced mm. it after this film came out. Then I don't think I would have noticed what they were doing in that thing. I mean, mm. sure they've got the Doctor Jekyll Mister Hyde thing, which people go, why is that there? Why why have you mm. put that in? But that's exactly what the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen did. Other films have done the exactly same thing, as well as like comic books and media. And like mm. like they said, it's universal. They can do the old universal monsters. It's just they were already interconnected uh, in in like the in the thirties and forties. I didn't find it. I didn't find it forced at all. Did you see that the list of demands that, or not demands, but the the rumors about Tom Cruise's controlling habits on the set? I've heard. I heard stuff about it, but I didn't see. I didn't. Some of it was amazing. Nothing comes to mind. Like he hired. Well, he hired a new editor for the film. Oh, really? For a start, uh, he also got someone else in to rework the script. He got Christopher McQuarrie was one of the script writers involved, and he he mandated it. So or or it is his. No, let me change that. It is alleged that he mandated it so that. Um, in when his character is introduced in the script, it says a young handsome man. Oh wow! Okay, <laughs> and, 
and it again it is alleged that he had it changed so that he had more screen time than the mummy which initially wasn't the case that's that's a kind of strange change i mean i don't I don't really get having more screen time for the mummy, but at the same time, it's weird that he can force that. It's not that the villain had more screen time. I think it was more that he was maybe part of a more ensemble cast. Right, okay, I, I get and, and then And then he was like, no, I'm the lead, and I'm going to have more screen time than anyone. Whereas before, it maybe was like a team of people, and so the mummy had more screen time than him just because he was part of a squad, not the lead. But it was that it was that line about his uh, about being introduced as a young handsome man. That feels like a very Tom Cruise thing to add. Yeah, I mean, have you seen the trailer for that other film he's in? The new no. one. <laughs> I don't know what it's, you're referring it, to. It, he's in a new film that's like a true story about some pilot guy. He was involved with Pablo Escobar and stuff. It's got Dom Hall Gleason in it. I've, in I've that, heard nothing about that. In that in the trailer. He's he's like having sex with this woman, and she looks like she should be his his granddaughter. It's so it's really creepy because she's like I don't know how old she is, but she's too young. I'm not getting judgmental, but I am icky, 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 icky. Get a haircut, you hippie. <laughs> Thank you for listening to what you probably didn't listen to because it was two hours and eight minutes that I've got recorded here. Jack has run out of memory, so it's up to me to outro. So thank you for listening, and if you, for whatever reason, want to hear more, you can go on our YouTube channel where we have reviews, video essays, and other types of things. And you should look out for our next podcast where we'll probably be talking about Dawn, no, War, War of the Planet of the Apes, War of the Planet of the Apes, War 4! The Planet of the Apes, as it is actually called. Thank you. Goodbye. Goodbye.